Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is Value Sign for Friday, September 29. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valuesign.com. Well, today, Ukraine and the return of feudalism. Well, the Ukraine war is showing us a different time, a time before the American Revolution, back to the Middle Ages, a time when feudal lords, with their private soldiers, fought for supremacy. Today, Western democracies consider power to reside with the state, an entity whose representatives are elected by the people and in which resides ultimate legal authority. Now, here in the United States, we see maximum authority residing in our tripartite government, the Congress, the courts, and the president, legislative, judicial, and executive. However, in Ukraine, other sectors exert their power and influence over the state. Those who have political influence include a loosely knit web of high-profile oligarchs and their private armies. Now, private militias, as they're known in polite circles, have been in Ukraine at least since the end of World War II. The most prominent of these is the Azov Brigade. Founded by a neo-Nazi and to some extent a national hero, Stepan Bandera. Bandera sided with the Germans when they conquered the Ukraine region during World War II. Before, Ukraine was part of the old Soviet Union. And while Ukraine's independence was one of Bandera's life goals, his attraction for Germany went far beyond that. He also embraced many of the Third Reich's ideology, including racial division, national hatred, and a sense of Aryan superiority. It was a vicious stew that would simmer in Ukraine homes for generations. Finally, in the last days of 1991, the lid was lifted off that stew when the Soviet Union dissolved. At last, Ukraine was free. But those old animosities remained. Parts of Ukraine, particularly Crimea and the Donbass, remained predominantly ethnic Russian, the focus of the militia's anger. Thirteen years later, in 2014, the boiling cauldron of Ukraine boiled over. No understanding of the current war in Ukraine is complete without knowing all that happened in 2014. On February 20, 2014, Russian forces entered Crimea, meeting little resistance, and one month later, the annexation of Crimea by Russia was complete. Now, the opening chapter for this part of Ukraine's history was written in September of that year by Amnesty International. In an AI briefing entitled, Ukraine Abuses and War Crimes by the Adar Volunteer Battalion in the North Luhansk Region. Now, this report details the vicious crimes the militias committed against the local people in the Donbass region. Now, quote, Members of the Adar Territorial Defense Battalion, operating in the North Luhansk region, have been involved in widespread abuses, including abductions, unlawful detentions, ill treatment, theft, extortion, and possible executions, said Amnesty International. They went on to say, the Adar Battalion is one of the over 30 so-called volunteer battalions to have emerged in the wake of the conflict, which has been loosely integrated into Ukrainian security structures as they seek to retake separatist-held areas. Unquote Amnesty International. Later in the report, Amnesty will note that many of these attacks would be considered war crimes under international law, 
and that the central government of Ukraine had virtually no control over any of these groups. Now, Russia reacted by taking over Crimea in March of 2014, where many of the atrocities against ethnic Russians had occurred. And in April, two other regions, with predominantly Russian population, the Donetsk and Luhansk regions, declared their independence from Ukraine. Now, these lightning-fast moves shook the Western powers to their core. Washington, in particular, was alarmed. Remember, as we've noted before, Ukraine was the intersection of U.S. and Russian influence in the region. America, for decades, had been developing Ukraine as a strategic hub. Under the Biological Threat Reduction Program, which began the year the USSR fell, by 2014, the U.S. had well over 30 biological labs in Ukraine. Now, one month after Ukraine had annexed Crimea, and at the same time the Donetsk and Luhansk republics declared their independence, John Brennan, then head of the Central Intelligence Agency, visited Kiev. And in an article entitled, quote, Why CIA Director Brennan Visited Kiev in Ukraine, The Covert War Has Begun, quote, Forbes magazine declared that this was all part of a covert war between the U.S. and Russia. Forbes speculated that Brennan had promised to send Kiev classified military information on Russian troop positions and movements. Coincidentally, there were significant changes for those Ukrainian militias. Most were brought under the control of the Ukrainian army, the AFU. One wonders if this was to enable the U.S. to share some of this intel with those same militias. But more importantly, Brennan apparently promised Ukraine a heightened level of U.S. military aid. By 2016, the U.S. sent Ukraine $85 million in support and $99 million the following year, rising to $3.3 billion as early as 2021. Of course, the Russian side of this war also employed non-traditional military groups, especially the private military company Wagner. Now, Wagner's history in Ukraine goes back to those independent struggles in Luhansk and Donetsk. In both cases, Wagner was mainly fighting those private paramilitaries on the other side, the Azov Battalion, etc. This was a remarkable turn of events, generally only seen in feudal societies. Ironically, the last time we may have seen this in Europe was when knights jousted on horseback. After the war between Russia and Ukraine began, Wagner recorded their most significant victory when they took the small town of Bakhmut. I wonder if this was also a battle of one paramilitary against another paramilitary. So we see that even in war, the power and authority of Kiev has been waning. The independent militias have continued without constraint. For the Ukrainians, constraint has only come when those militias are defeated at battle. For the Russian side, constraint was vividly applied through the death of their leader. However, as reported from Amnesty International reveals, these militias have been involved in more atrocities than either of the regular armies. Regrettably, that's often the case with loosely knit groups when the chain of command is informal and the perpetrator, with no uniform, difficult to identify, difficult to identify or prosecute. International law, after all, is based on treaties between nations, 
and may have little effect in this new feudal world. As we've seen, Wagner, Azov, and all the rest of these paramilitaries were fighting long before the war in Ukraine began in February of 2022. Their battles went back to at least 2014 and likely before that. So, if a ceasefire or an armistice is eventually declared, will it really matter if the militias don't comply? And that's the value side for Friday, September 29. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. I'm David Ravel. ValueSide is independently written and researched. The views expressed are strictly my own.